You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, uh, Doug and Greg Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. It is October 25th, 2023. Rough day in the markets, uh, specifically led by Google's earnings uh, yesterday evening, which essentially signaled. A, I thought I thought the earnings were pretty great, um, but, but they signaled a slowdown in cloud spending, and I think a lot of that is due to the cloud spending currently is is driven by AI. Microsoft and Azure is getting a lot of the uh, AI spend because they're the biggest investor in OpenAI, which is essentially the biggest AI company in the world right now. Uh, so Microsoft's up. Google's down and uh, the market is uh, choppy to say the least. It's funny. Um, I saw this uh, this week. It says, uh, happy one year anniversary to the 100% chance of recession forecast that never happened. This is Bloomberg, uh, October 17th, 2022. Forecast for U.S. recession within year hits 100% in blow to Biden. Bloomberg Bloomberg economics sees near certainty downturn will start. Tightening conditions, inflation, hawkish Fed way on outlook. Um, that hasn't happened. Yeah, it hasn't happened. And the fact that Google or the the idea that the financial media is pushing out today that Google's earnings are the impetus for the market selling off today. And the markets are off right now about 1.2%. We'll see how they close. Sometimes they sell-offs can accelerate. Or you can have a day where you have a big swing and the markets end up positive. So who knows how the day is going to close today. But the idea that Google is the impetus for today's market sell-off, I really just don't buy that. Um, Because look at Microsoft. It's the biggest company in the world. has had a huge beat on earnings and they're growing. So this the fifth biggest company in the world or whatever in Google had a not had under or under uh, didn't didn't basically. fulfill their earnings expectations. And then you have the biggest one, biggest company in the world in Microsoft that killed earnings. I think today is just the, the, the at to, a day like today where there's really no good news or, or there's a mixture between good news and bad news. And you could say that they sort of like weigh each other out because the best company in the world or biggest company in the world, Microsoft and the fifth biggest in Google or, or basically had some, sort of a mixed bag. But today is a, a prime example of the, the market's being driven by fear and greed is what I think, um, because there's no real news that came out today other than that mixed bag. Um, and the, and the, basically the stock market, for those of you who, who don't know, is uh, buyers and sellers of securities. And when there's more sellers than buyers, that weighs in the markets and that's a down day. Um, and when there's more buyers than sellers and when there's more greed, essentially it's a good day. So we don't really uh, subscribe or ascribe anything to these one individual days because it's just the the uh, it's basically human beings and they're the representation of the overall greed or fear in the world economy and investors at any given point in time. That's why I think personally that the stock market is such an interesting tool as it relates to how the world feels at any given point in time. But I I, I really don't think like as from an investment standpoint. A lot of times these days, there's not any real news, but it's just all of a sudden they're selling and that can beget more selling because people will get more fearful when they see red on a screen or whatever. Yesterday was an up day. Today's a down day. It's been this sort of ping ponging effect 
for the uh, last two or three weeks now. Um, and the SP 500 now is about 4,200. Um, so yeah, but you're still, right. It's still about 12% or so from January, 12 or 13% January, 2022, uh, high. So we're, we're essentially, uh, going into two years being, uh, underwater, but it's interesting that you said the fear and greed component, um, peak, peak fear really was, uh, this time last year in which, uh, that Bloomberg article came out where not only were the ec- uh, economists predicting hundred percent with hundred percent certainty recession, there was also the survey of CEOs and CFOs that, uh, nearly all of them were predicting a recession in the coming year. Uh, that didn't materialize. This is from Sam Rowe. He says, October 12 was the anniversary of the bear market low, marking the beginning of the second year of the current bull market. The market was up from October 12 of 22 to October 12 of 23. Here's Oppenheimer's Ari Wald on the historic comparisons. We define cycle lows. An 18-month low, our analysis indicates year two following the major low has been positive 19 out of 22 cycles, 86% of the time. The misses only occurring in 1932, 1947, and 1960. And we found a real, little relationship between year one's magnitude and year two. Uh, essentially, what this is showing is uh, Sam Rowe and then uh, Ari Wald from Oppenheimer both believe that we're entering year two of a bull market, which it's it's hard to believe with the sentiment that is out there. And, and that's really how bull markets are built uh, on on worry, the wall of worry, which we've talked about in the past. Uh, but if you look at uh, year two of a bull market is typically uh, a very strong one. So um, if there's a chart here that we'll post in the show notes from Oppenheimer in terms of the uh, the 12 months or month 13, month 24 of a bull market and uh, a real strong period. So that's the other component to this, too, that we talk about with people is uh, you want from a from a asset allocation pr- perspective, you don't want to own stocks that you'd plan to sell in the short term because volatility is ever present and uh you want to be able to hold stocks through a bear because the upturn in the first and second year of a bull market tends to be extremely strong so you don't want to be a seller even uh, once the market turns right and the other thing that we tell people too is like day to day the markets are like a flip of the coin whether or not they're gonna be positive or negative like 53% 53% of the time in the history of the United States markets, the market's been positive any given year, and 47% of the time they've been negative. So it's really sort of maddening if you try to look at your accounts or whatever on a day-by-day basis. Over time, the, your odds of success increase. Um, but given the fact that we haven't had a new market high in a long period of time, um, that begets a higher percentage that we're going to have one just because it's been the, the, we've had more time basically for corporations' earnings to increase, et cetera. So price to earnings ratios should have, should be improving because prices really haven't done anything. And so the earnings aspect theoretically would be improving. So, um, it, there's a lot of variables that go into this. Tr- the, w- like we've talked about this on the podcast and we talk about it with our clients. It can be maddening really to look at this on a day to day basis because, um, like we were, like we we're, we talked about, this is just the psychological representation of people at, at any given point in time. And that's really schizophrenic on a day by day basis. Um, and Fidelity's anecdotally told us that the best performing, and I don't, we don't know if this is true or not, but they said the best performing accounts that they have on their platform are those in which the people forgot about their account or the registrations were in deceased individuals' names. Because otherwise, day by day looking at this and saying, okay, well, I just lost 10% of the value of my account. Um, that's, you know, I got to get out before it gets any worse. Well, 
historically the stock market does has a 10% correction like once every year or every other year on average. Um, so this kind of stuff just happens and it's just the unfortunate reality. And like you said, when things, when the markets do appreciate, when you have a bull market, it does climb that wall of worry, meaning that there's always going to be skepticism on the way up. And that's what John Templeton said that markets are built on, or they bottom on pessimism and they mature on uh, skepticism or they grow in skepticism, mature on optimism and die on euphoria. And we're, we're, we're certainly not in a uh, optimistic point in time right now. So we're in that pessimism, skepticism. So surely um, if uh, not surely, but if, if Sir John Templeton's sort of psychological analysis of the markets is right, then that would be conceivably there's some green grass ahead of us. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think I think it's the complete opposite of 2021, in which, uh, in hindsight, was uh, very optimistic, if not euphoric, specifically like around crypto venture currency. and crypto. And um, yeah, I saw somebody post that uh, if this is year two of the bull market, can we all agree not to bid up the price of JPEGs, meaning like these NFTs of if you look at the. Uh the like people that were making money selling JPEGs of rocks and yeah, it's so stupid, so stupid, and they're making, but their people are making There's hand over fist, several hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, of a, a picture on the internet. One thing I think is a little bit different this time, which is causing some of the angst, is that the alternatives are uh, pretty attractive at this point, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. But um, you know, the difference between maybe this and a uh, bear market or bull market correction in the past is that and if you were to sell or rebalance and go from stocks to bonds, you're actually getting paid uh, to do that now. Um, right now, the earnings yield on the S&P 500, which is just the inverse price to earnings ratio, is at the same level as uh, the 30-year treasury. It's basically we're at five and a half times uh earnings yield so about 18 times earnings uh, 2024 earnings and then we're at a five and a half percent 30-year treasury and so you, there is not much of a risk premium to go into stocks now that doesn't consider the fact that stocks grow earnings uh, bond you get the same amount each year without any growth but um, but it is easy to say in today's market I don't want to deal with the volatility of stocks let me just go and sit in cash or bonds and actually earn something. Uh, it's funny, uh, Michael Santoli, who works, uh, he's an anchor at CNBC, he was on a podcast, and he was explaining just this, but he also had a really unique insight that uh, I think is really important for those who are saying, let me just sit in cash and collect my 5% and wait for things to get better. And he says, so when we go back to the spread between the earnings yield of the S&P 500 and let's say the 10-year treasury right now, that seems like there's no valuation cushion at all for stocks. We're as low as we've been in 20 years-ish. But if you go back to the 80s and 90s, this level was absolutely routine and unremarkable, meaning when your earnings yield and your 10-year treasury were about the same. And the market went up for most of that time. I guess my big point is I just don't have any have a lot of faith in the precision of these relationships. The biggest equity bubble in history happened when yields were at 5% and 6% and 7%. This was the dot-com bubble. I don't have a ton of confidence in the precision of these relationships because it's very regime-specific. And so if you're one, uh, and I think the math is is pretty easy to come to that says, look, I'll just cl- clip coupons around 5 and 6% and not pay 18 times earnings for the S&P 500, 
if you were that same person in the 80s and 90s during the biggest bull run uh, since uh, post in the post-war era, then uh, you know I would say that that was a bad mistake uh, to take that p- particular position. And so um, it's just one of those things that sounds right intuitively, but in practice and and historically hasn't been a very strong relationship. Yeah, the the hard part about marking timing is t- is you have to be right twice. You have to be right on the time to get out, and then you have to be right again on the time to get back in, which is really just um, it's. If you look back at history, it's almost been impossible. I've gotten this is an excerpt from the Billion Dollar Molecules book. Um, it talks about the same thing that you're talking about, but in a different era. And I'm going to read verbatim. In the fall of 1989, the money on Wall Street was famously skittish. And the, and the first time pilgrims to Wall Street, to New York's financial markets most often came away disappointed. The stock market, despite being, despite record highs, was still shaken in defense of two years after the crash of 1987, which we talked about last week. With the recession looming, investors had withdrawn to the safety of big companies with solid earnings. Worried about liquidity, they lightened up, especially on new companies. Such companies were too risky, it was said. They burned money. It could be years, decades before they paid out. Which, which by Wall Street's myopic perspective was past the vanishing point. As with many collective judgments, Wall Street's gloom and rapidly self-fulfilling, rap, gloom was sap- rapidly self-fulfilling. As investors retreated, stock prices sank, weakening new, weakening new companies and making their need for money all the more dire. The situation was widely considered a national tragedy by those who thought America's future competitiveness, competitiveness was being squandered in Wall Street's unwillingness to invest in emerging technologies. And then it goes on to say, of all the emerging fields Wall Street was cool about, biomedicine was by far the most worrisome. It spent the most money and took the longest to pay out. Of course, if you look back at this, you could have bought some companies that are probably like 100x or 1,000x or whatever from their point in time. Um, but it's the same sort of story that's gone on for for throughout human history. It's this collective psychology that says, I can't take it anymore. I just want to buy some treasuries and sit this one out. Um, if you look at through the lens of the future, or look, in, or in the case of this particular this particular book, which is thirty years or so old, or forty years old, um, that's that's kind of stuff. The news that's driving the market at that point in time is like kind of laughable um, from a historical t- context. And some of the you could have some in- incredible uh, values if you just bought quality companies and held them for the long term. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned biotech. I saw something this morning that uh, the, the biotech ETF, which is IBB, is now approaching a, a lost decade, meaning no return for 10 years. And so we've got a, um, a situation where the market only wants security at this point. It wants the most profitable, highest quality companies that can grow earnings, grow cash flows, buy back stock, maybe pay out dividends that are dominant in their field and doesn't want anything else. Whereas a couple of years ago is the exact opposite. If you're uh, an emerging, they wanted revenues. They didn't yeah, they wanted, yeah, everything was a multiple of revenue versus a multiple of earnings and cash flow. And so the sentiment is the real driver here. Um, of course, these things go in cycles and that cycle will shift at some point. But right now, early, early stage of a bull market, uh, hopefully at least in, in our opinion, that that's, uh, that's the case, at least from a historical perspective, but, um, you know, early stages of a bull market quality is, is King late stages of a bull market, uh, you know, quality is thrown by the wayside and growth and growth at all costs, which we saw in 2021 was the, the dominant, the dominant factor. Uh, one, one thing I think is really interesting. It's, it's, I, I started thinking about why haven't we gone into 
a recession. We've had the tightest Federal Reserve uh, really in history from the perspective, other than Volcker in 1980 uh, raising rates, but we've had rates go from zero to five and a quarter essentially overnight. Um, we've had this massive slowdown in real estate, specifically in commercial real estate. The office sector is completely blown up. Um, you know, cost of capital is huge where we have high levels of debt, uh, government debt and, uh, corporate debt. Why haven't we gone into a recession? It seems like this has been the playbook that would push into, push us into a recession. This is a really interesting, um, chart from, uh, from, this is from bank of America and facts that, uh, it says, uh, the effective, this is two exhibits, exhibit 21 and exhibit 22 of this article. Uh, the effective interest rate is on the rise, but only back to pre COVID levels. The effective interest rate of the S and P 500 is still sub 4% of, of the debt that they own right now. The wall of maturities that's occurring in the S and P 500, much of the maturities is pushed out into the 2040s and past 2050. And so what happened in 2020 and 2021 was a lot of these S&P 500 companies refinanced, uh, sent, uh, put out bonds or took loans at uh, f- the historic low rates and pushed those maturities way out. So we have a period in which the cost of capital has increased. But if you have fixed rate debt at 3 or 4% long term, that increase by the Federal Reserve really has no impact on you. And so we're seeing earnings really stabilize in 2023, and we're projected uh, consensus 12%, I believe, earnings growth in 2024. So that uh, the, the rapid change by the Federal Reserve really impacting real estate, because that's a lot of short-term and floating rate debt, but uh, the market in general is not, is not being impacted at all. Yeah, it's it's kind of analogous to the, the corporate America is kind of analogous from that standpoint to the American consumer in that. We talked about this last week, but the average, even though mortgage rates are like 8% right, right now, which sounds crazy, the average effective mortgage rate for the American um, consumer is like three in the mid threes or something like that, because very few people are basically, tons of people took out loans and refied, et cetera, in 2019, 2020, 2021, when you could get a 2% loan or a 3% loan or whatever. And conversely, very few people are refinancing obviously nobody's refinancing right now but very few people are taking out loans um to buy houses the loan originations are at 25 year lows um meaning it's basically like uh you know a a, a ghost town right now in the real estate market and that's certainly affecting any sort of um businesses that are ancillary to people moving um or people that make money on uh, real estate sales, i.e., real realtors, um, people that uh, re uh, remodel homes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any sort of any anything related to to residential or commercial real estate is really suffering. But so far, that's been contained to that specific area. I've you know who to, didn't refi in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one? Who's that? The U.S. government. This is a an article by Barry Ritholtz. <laughs> it says the, the greatest missed opportunity of our lifetimes, and the chart that he. Uh, puts in his blog is uh, from the Peter G. Peterson Foundation. By 2053, interest costs are projected to be near, nearly three times the amount the federal government has historically spent on research and development, infrastructure, and education combined. 
Um, and really what, what Ritholtz goes into here is that, and we talked about this, it was either last week or the week before how Austria issued a hundred or maybe is it Austria or Australia issued a hundred year bond, Austria, at, Austria, at like a 2% in 2021, I believe, or maybe 2020, uh, the U S government did not, uh, take that opportunity to refi debt and push out maturities. And so we're sitting on a, a pretty, uh, scary situation unless rates come down, which the, there's a strong likelihood they will that uh, interest expense will continue to eat up much of the government spending, whereas we had that major opportunity a couple of years ago that seemed self-evident at the time. I think we were even talking about it at the time. Uh, other countries were doing, the United States did not. Yeah, I mean, I saw this actually after we talked about our, uh, Austria um, doing a 100-year bond that's now tr- was like a 2% yield or a 1% yield or whatever, and it's trading at like 30 cents on the dollar. Um, but, uh, Argentina actually did the exact same thing. I mean, they, they actually, uh, issued one in 2017, a hundred year bond at a 7% yield. Um, and now the, now that you can buy us government debt in the 30 year range for around 5%. Yeah. So it was really, Argentina kind of, is the most fiscally irresponsible com- uh, country in the world in there. But they made a really doing. good decision <laughs> versus <laughs> the United States, which is, uh, you know, has, you know, for, for in this particular case and a lot of other cases, seems like they missed the boat. Uh, they should. I mean, we. I th- I'm sure that we're the largest issuer of sovereign debt out there, um, and we could have absolutely locked in some rates. But for some reason, we only have a, the longest bond that we offer in our country on the um, government side is 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, you know what we're seeing on the, at least the market side, and and a lot what we're seeing in uh, just market prices. I mean, we had a. We had a large drawdown last year. I think it was like 25% at some point, maybe a little bit more than that in 2022. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you know, the question is why didn't the bear market get worse and why haven't we seen a recession? I think a lot of that is driven by just uh, great work at, uh, you know, the, the capital allocation level for companies across the board and America in general during the, the pandemic era, just locking in low rates and pushing out those maturities to a long a long period of time that that uh, we talked about last week will ultimately if rates stay high come back and uh, you know it's not going to stay fixed and low forever but if there's if we're in a period where the federal reserve can start cutting rates again in 24 and 25 uh, this thing may be skirted simply by virtue of uh, you know people being prudent during 2020 and 2021 yep lots to hope for um Obviously, a lot going on in the markets. The, the bond market still is representing a, a, a significant uh, decrease in price, increase in yield. Looking at that glass half full so you can get some rates that you haven't been able to get if you buy bonds for uh, multiple decades. So there's a lot of things going on right now. We'll be here with you along the way, offering our commentary. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give it five stars and share it with your friends and family. But otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com.
The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.